Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As someone who has been teaching for a few years now in all sorts of different lessons and different settings, I've come to learn that there are some things that you need to keep into mind about how best you consider how to teach, what you're doing to the group of people you're teaching to. Some things to keep in mind are the size of the classroom, whether it's going to be five, five people or 15 people or even a whopping 50 people at one time, that will change how you go about and what you do. There's the age of the students to take into consideration if they are Sunday school or grade school children, if they are high schoolers, or if they are seasoned adults who want who have just much to share with you as you have to share with them. There's also, too, how much people would like to talk, whether they know each other already or just want to just catch up as they do Bible learning at the same time, and to what extent that you plan to include things like lecturing or small group activities or freewheeling discussion with everybody who is involved there. There's a lot of different things to take into consideration whenever you present any form of information, but there are some things that cut across every variable in almost the same way. Things like how strict your teacher is going to be, or how closely you need to follow the rules with taking turns listening and raising your hands, or not having any side conversations when anybody else is talking. And you can imagine that when there become behavior issues, when the teacher needs to, to raise their voice or to enact some kind of disciplinary measure, nine times out of ten, what follows afterward is complete silence. So quiet that you can hear the crickets chirping. If there were any crickets in the room, that is, of course, in the first place. And it's just a little different of an atmosphere. And normally when that happens, for the students who are creating the issues, for the unruly student, it's a very humbling time for them as they get shown before every single person that what they're doing was not right. But for those who were doing what the teacher said and expected of them, that usually brings a moment of relief and comfort. Relief in knowing that the teacher's disciplinary tactics are not being directed towards them, but towards somebody else, and they have nothing to be afraid of. But also comfort in knowing that if you go against what has been said and expected of you, there will be a price to pay that it is worth doing what the Lord, or what to, to do what the teacher has said. In many ways, when you look at this, of how a teacher handles their class, there's a lot of similarities to what we're talking about this morning when it comes to the Lord coming near again to humble his enemies and to deliver his children. Because as we learned last week, it is our Lord who expects out of all his children that before he comes near, that they humble themselves through godly repentance, as told to us by John the Baptist. But what about those children of his? What about those people who refuse to humble themselves, who reject who Jesus is? What will God do for them? As we hear in our lesson and in here from our songs this morning, is when the Lord comes near again that he will come to humble his enemies and to deliver his children. And while this certainly sounds warning bells for those who have yet to humble themselves or who perhaps need a reminder of such things, for we believing children of God, this is a message of joy, a message that gives us peace, 
because it is on this day that we see how the Lord brings us our comfort and our relief of what he will do for us in that day and how, what else he will do for those who have come after us in the name or because, of, because we are Christians. But it's also from this peace that we see not just what has come when the Lord comes near again, but as we live out our current days and wait until that day, how we have changed attitude and actions with perspective that is informed by what the Lord will do and grounded in the peace that he alone can give. When we earlier read our verses this morning from Philippians chapter 4, I'm guessing that you found the last verse rather familiar. The verse that goes like this. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is how I typically end my sermons. As I share with you one last reminder of what God's peace will do for you before we continue on with the next part of our worship service. And this peace that comes from our Lord is truly, it is unsurpassable. It is beyond anything that we could ever think or conceive or imagine beyond any of our understanding in a number of different ways. First of all, God's peace is unsurpassable in its certainty. It depends on Jesus and what he has done with his death on the cross. Nothing that we have to do to complete the process. Jesus, uh, God's peace is unsurpassable in terms of its delivery. That is how we receive it. It is through faith alone, through trust in who our Savior is that we receive this peace and not by any works of our own to earn or to deserve it. It's just given through faith. And this peace is also unsurpassable with its effects, what we receive from it the complete forgiveness of our sins, the holy status before our Lord that we are at peace with him and we have nothing to fear even as we consider when the Lord will come near again to humble his enemies. It is this peace which is given to us in all sorts of different ways that reminds of how unsurpassable our Lord is that is seen in such great light in light of our Lord's second coming. And on this third Sunday of Advent, we really see how those two comings of Christ really come together. Specifically, how his first coming at Christmas and what he did there enables us to look forward to his second coming with the peace of God himself guarding over our hearts and minds. It's through faith in who the one is that came at Christmas who died on that cross, who gave his very life for you and for me, that we are completely forgiven, completely clean of all of our sins, that gives us that confidence of what is to come forward. So that when the Lord comes near again to humble his enemies, he won't find us among his enemies. That's because we're counted among his children, his beloved children. And it's on that day that we can expect that the Lord will deliver us instead. What a peace this is that our Lord has given to us. But <clears throat> when you think of the Lord coming again to humble his enemies, is it peace that you find within your soul? Or is there perhaps a little bit of trouble in your heart? Or some worry in your mind? Perhaps we find trouble in our heart because as we look at the Lord coming to humble his enemies, those who have not yet humbled themselves, we perhaps realize that we may not be the best poster child of God's children that we would like to be. 
It was in our gospel we heard how John the Baptist was calling people out for their misplaced trust and their family ties to Abraham and prescribing fruits of repentance to tax collectors, to, to people who had material wealth, and another group of people I'm forgetting right now. Uh, soldiers, that's who it is. Soldiers. And prescribing things that seem relatively simple to not extort money from other people, to take what has been, you know, what's authorized for you. And if you have extra, to share with those who don't have anything in the first place. If John the Baptist were to take a close look at our life, what would he say? Would he find a heart that has already been humbled through godly repentance? Would he look at our way of living as Christians in the 21st century America world as there's nothing left to be done, no room for improvement, that we're doing all that we can do? Of course not. There's still room for us to improve. More repentance that needs to be done. Or perhaps there's worry in your mind as you consider the Lord coming to humble his enemies because you have people that you're concerned about. Like me, you probably have people in your family, among your loved ones, that you're honestly not sure where their faith is. They're standing before the Lord. And when the Lord comes near again to humble his enemies, will he include our own loved ones in that group of people? Because we're afraid of what the answer might be, that worry is there. Stripping us of that peace the peace that we should have when we consider what the Lord is going to do for us, his children, on that second coming of his. Because you see, when the Lord comes near again, yes, it is one that is marked with judgment, but it's also one that is marked with deliverance. And it's because of that judgment, that deliverance, which comes together in that great and glorious day that we can look to this day with peace. Peace because of what is given and done for us. Remember, the peace of our Lord is unsurpassable in so many different ways with its certainty, with its delivery, with its effects. And when we remind ourselves that this is what I have, that through faith in my Savior, in Jesus as my Savior, I have all of his blessings, all of his certainty, all of his wonderful forgiveness, and because of that, I'm saved, the trouble in our hearts goes away and is filled with peace. Peace, because when the Lord comes near again, he will see you as his child, loved by him, forgiven by him, and called his very own. Nothing to worry about. Peace in your heart. The worry in our mind, because we're concerned about our loved ones and what the Lord will do for them, also this too is, is filled with peace. Because we remind ourselves that if, if we have tried what we can do to share God's word, or we continue, if they're still with us, that the Lord will not hold us accountable if he ends up humbling them to their eternal shame. But also we, we place our trust in the Lord, that this judgment falls in his all-knowing hands. And he knows what's in somebody's heart. If there is that faith that we honestly wonder about, or that faith that we're praying for, and if that faith is there, he will not skip over it or, or forget about it. He will see it and give to what he gives to every child who is a child of his through faith. But it's also this peace of our Lord which is unsurpassable in every way, which does more than simply guard our hearts and minds from worry and from trouble in these ways, but also continues to steal our hearts and steal our minds because of what he will do on 
that last day. It is this peace that stands guard over our hearts and minds, much like a, like a Roman legionnaire who stands guard at his post, protecting it from all sorts of different threats from all different kinds, and so does the peace of our God do the same thing for us. When we witness the injustices that happen around us, or when we suffer the persecution that is laid against us, we remind ourselves that when the Lord comes near again, he will right every wrong. And he will do what he has said. And for those who have come after us because of our Christian name or who have gone away with something that they should have not, not gotten away with, the Lord will make all things right in a way that he knows best, in a way that, he knows, that, we, that we know that he will do. When we consider of how so much of what we believe in is seen through the eyes of faith, yet to be seen, that cannot be proven in scientific means. We will see that when the Lord comes near again, how our faith will be vindicated before the eyes of all people, and that all people will know that what we hold to be true is the truth, is the reality. And we'll finally see by their own eyes what we hope for in faith. But it's also when it comes to the the struggles that we put up with life, the, the sinful effects in our body, and just how things aren't working the way that they should. It's also that day that we have God's peace given to us. Because we know that when the Lord comes near again, he will deliver us to be with home in heaven, to put an end to pain and suffering, to trials and tribulations, to free us forever from the effects of sin for all time. And what a peace we have knowing what will be ours for all of eternity. You see, it is this peace of our Lord which is given to us in this unsurpassable way that we see in such great light in the Lord coming again. A peace that is ours even in the midst of such judgment because we know that we will be delivered and counted among God's children. And it's with knowledge of what is to come on the last day that we live out our current days with a new, new perspective on things. To know what actually matters what we leave in the hands of our Lord and we don't get all up in arms about and what we need to have to share with all people so they too may believe it before the Lord comes to humble those who have rejected him. And as we live out our current days waiting for the last day, it is then we see how it is our attitudes and actions are changed in light of the peace that is within our hearts. And the Apostle Paul in particular, he lists three ways. Three ways that we see those informed attitudes and actions show themselves as rejoicing, being gentle, and thankfully offering our request to the Lord. When it comes to rejoicing, we hear what Paul says for us, where he says these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Besides this theme, being for the whole book of the book of Philippians. In many ways, rejoicing is the refrain of a Christian's life. Because even when our troubles overwhelm us, and even when our days go from bad to worse, we still have God's peace given to us now. The assurance of what will be ours when he comes near again. And for those who've made our life nowhere fun by any means, what the Lord will give to them in recompense for their deeds. And this is ours. And that can never be taken away. And this brings us joy, even in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship. 
When it comes to being gentle, we again hear to what Paul has to say to us. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. We get a better understanding of what Paul means by gentleness when we further understand gentleness in this way. As not insisting on every right of letter of law or custom. And therefore can be translated as as yielding, gentle, kind, courteous, tolerant. Instead of repaying an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, instead we, we turn the other cheek. We suffer injustices. We, we don't exercise the full rights that we could if it shows Christian love. And while we don't ask to be gluttons for punishment, the Lord doesn't command us to be gluttons for punishment either. We also take comfort knowing that the Lord is near, that he will right all wrongs, and every injustice that has, that has gone out, he will deliver when all things come to an end. And for that, we leave it in the hands of the Lord to do what perhaps we have failed or what we didn't realize that could have happened. When it comes to making our request before the Lord, we hear Paul say this. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to the Lord. We offer up our request to God in thankfulness, not in worry. And as we heard Jesus say in our Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is in Matthew 5, Matthew 6 in particular, uh, we have God promising that he'll provide for all of our bodily needs. And as such, there is no need, there is no point to worry about what will we eat or drink or wear. The Lord will provide for all of these things. And so he will continue to do so. And our eyes look to the forward of what is to come. If we bring a request before the Lord of what it is that is to come in the future, we do so with thankfulness. Thankfulness of how he has held true to his promise to provide for us. Thankfulness how he's gone far and above just providing the bare necessities of life, but so much more. Spiritually, he's given us our Savior and that peace with him that can never go away. Physically, we have many of life luxuries. And probably that's not going to be changing anytime soon. So as we go to God with our request, we do so with thankfulness of what he has done. Thankfulness of what he will likely continue to do as he has promised, but also too willing to receive whatever he gives us, realizing that he knows best and he'll give us what we need at the proper time. Rejoicing. Being gentle making our requests with thankfulness. This is how Paul lists some of the ways that our actions and attitudes are changed in light of what the Lord will do when he comes to humble his enemies and deliver his children. But the only way that we can do such things is that we have God's peace guarding over our hearts and minds. It is that peace we go back to just how unsurpassable it is through faith in Jesus because of his coming at Christmas and what he did there, that I have nothing to fear with what is to come on that last day. And yes, it will be a day of judgment. And yes, the Lord will humble those who have rejected him. But for me, I have nothing to fear. And what a joy that is. As I wait for that day, so I live in light of that day with changed attitudes and actions. As we wait for the day for the Lord to come near once again, Let us rest our hearts in that peace, the peace which he alone gives to us, the peace which guards over our hearts and minds in so many great and wonderful ways, protecting us from external threats, just like how Roman legionnaire protects his post from those who come after him. 
It's with this peace in our heart. Then let us then live out our current days as we wait for the day of the Lord to come near again with changed attitudes and actions as Paul lays out and so many other possibilities. But when we see those injustices happen or when we suffer things and wonder where is this all going, let us also take solace that the Lord is near. And when he comes, he will come to right all wrongs, to humble his enemies, but also to deliver his children. Amen.